This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. You know what I want? Hello and welcome to the trade deadline extravaganza of the Raptors Republic podcast. It's not weekly. It's not reaction. It's just a, a trade deadline episode with friend of the podcast, friend of humanity, Blake Murphy of The Athletic, doing lots of terrific writing over there, some terrific podcasting as well. Blake, how are you doing, man? I'm all right. Thanks for having me on. Uh, back in the day when uh, there were, were more than just the weekly and the post game at Raptors Republic, we would call these the Raptors Republic Weekly Extra. And the name would get so long that you could almost not even put an episode title in it because you were filling up all the space. That's an old holdover from Zarar's days uh, doing the podcast more regularly. That was, uh, that was something that he had to talk to me about was I was naming them the Extra Weekly podcast because I thought it was the weekly podcast and this is the extra weekly podcast but he told me that it's derived from something else where it's the weekly extra some sort of football thing over in it's probably related to Arsenal if if anything but yeah I still do those occasionally I just don't think this fits in really yeah that makes sense completely um plus it's uh it's your podcast now it's yours to make your own and uh, we don't, I mean, Arsenal's bad enough that they should have, actually, you know what? Arsenal is exactly bad enough that they should have uh, the influence they still do on Raptors Republic. So uh, I guess Zarar and Arsenal's influence uh, carry on as the Raptors slide down the table like uh, Zarar's other, other pet team does. That's right. That's exactly right. Okay, though, we'll get started. And I think it makes the most sense just to lay it on the table what we think of the team off the top. And not to get into what we think of certain players and like how OG and Pascal have been so far this year and Fred, who's been phenomenal, not like that. And the Raptors, just as a caveat, they've had terrible luck this season. It seemingly has been out to get them since the start, but context is the most important thing usually, but we're going to ditch a little bit of that. And you don't have to sell low or high. You can buy, you can stand pat, whatever. You do what you want at the trade deadline. You're Masai and Bobby and the organization. But let's make it known where we're both leaning right now. And I'll, I think you sell high on Lowry if that comes. I think you sell high on Boucher, for example, if that comes. And I think you sell middle or high on Norm if that comes. That's where I stand with them. I think I'm very much in the you sell camp. Where are you? Yeah, I mean, to your first point in terms of, 
you know, you throw the the nuance of the context out. This is the week for that, right? Like, this right. is first of all your the pieces you have in place for the long term. OG Fred and Pascal are never less interesting than they are this week. No, nobody cares about the good players that you already have and are sticking around. Uh, aside from the odd person who seems to want to sell uh, at the absolute lowest on Pascal Siakam. Um, yeah, the your, your good players that you already have are, are not interesting. Um, and, and like you said, the, the season does feel a little against them. That goes beyond just the, the performance in clutch games and the COVID outbreak um, that they had. Obviously, they've lost a, a lot of momentum and, all, and a lot of games because of that. Somehow, they're still – they're also like this is going to be – uh, the end of me ever referring to like a team's true talent level because 42 games in the Raptors are almost exactly even points for points and against um, but they're eight games under 500 so uh, they are threatening the worst record of all time for a team with a positive point differential <laughs> so that's something to watch down the stretch uh, but yeah I mean this is all, all context is what it is. That eight-game losing streak is an eight-game losing streak, and they're now eight games under five hundred. They're a couple games out of even a play-in spot, and they're a couple more out of avoiding the play-in by getting the sixth seed. And you have to you have to take stock of how this looks, not just for the rest of this year. And I think you can get pretty easily to treating this year as a lost year of sorts. Not even not a tank season or, or a major step back in the big picture, but look at all the nonsense that has happened. This is, um, you know, it's kind of a, a lost, joyless season. So if there were ever a year to take that approach, this would be it. And I'm with you, Samson. I think, you know, I still maintain Kyle Lowry dictates a lot of his own future. I think if he comes to you and says, I, I like to be somewhere more competitive for the rest of this year, you do your best to make that happen. I think if one of those teams comes to you with a big offer, uh, you can take it to Kyle Lowry and see what he says. But but I think if Lowry were to tell you, absolutely not, I want to stay and try to fight with this, you do that. The other guys have less of that cachet. I'm very firmly in this is a, a time to sell high on Norman Powell, which we can get into. Um, Boucher is an interesting one because I do think his second, uh, his second non-guaranteed year is valuable, both because it's a pretty good salary for – um, you know, like a third big in your rotation and because it's a good trade chip since it doesn't guarantee until a little after the moratorium. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you can get something for him in talking to other beat writers at The Athletic, uh, there seems to be some good interest in Boucher around, uh, around the league. So um, yeah, I mean, look, OG, Fred and Pascal are, are your guys and they're locked down. And I think you don't want to, even if they weren't, you don't want to sell this low on Pascal. You, you probably need to see more out of Malachi Flynn before you explore including him in any deal. Anyone else though, if you're not, if you're not nailed down, uh, the wind's blowing, man. Yeah. So let's, let's do the norm thing first and not packages. We'll get to that in a little bit, but let's discuss the reason to move on from him and maybe a reason to keep him. This is something you wrote about, but for the people who are not behind the paywall and taking in all of your wonderful writing talent like I am, uh, we'll provide it for free in, in some regard. So I'm going to say you trade Norm right off the start because he is operating in a role that has maximized his value. He's in a role where he's taking a lot of the, I would say, easy baskets on the floor via transition or spot up that 
while maybe not at the same efficiency, you can still funnel to different types of players. You are going to lose a certain amount of self-creation, although it is with a lot of players, self-creation is tied into event creation. But with Norm, it seems like self-creation is just that. He's not creating a lot for other teammates, even if he does have a five-assist game here and then. And while he does this scoring at a really high rate, and that's fantastic, and the efficiency is great, I still think you can level out the roster if you're bringing in guys or a guy who is better on the defensive end and can provide a modicum of the spot-up shooting that he does. Where do you sit on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you for the most part. And look, your, your point about uh, self-creation versus event creation or creation for others is a good one. And before the Raptors game on Sunday, uh, Danielle Michaud of Sportsnet, um, you know, kind of did one of these, I, it, what you would normally call a sideline hit. I don't really know what we're calling them now. But she had spoke to Norman Powell about kind of changing that role from what he was before everyone went out and then what he had to be in those five games and then what he had to be now that – um, guys are back. Um, and a- as good as that insight was, and, and as nice as it was to have Danielle offer up Norm's perspective, he averaged 24 used possessions and three assists during those five games. Like there was, it is not like he became a point guard uh, during that stretch by any means. Um, this is a guy who, look, he has a 24% usage rate, which is second to only Pascal Siakam on the team. Um, he's done that at a 64.7 true shooting percentage, which is topped only by Chris Boucher uh, and actually technically Patrick McCaw, but Patrick McCaw's usage is like one possession on the entire season. So, um, so yeah, Powell has been like, if you filter for that level of usage and that level of true shooting percentage at the wing, the list of comparables is really, really small. You get Evan Fournier and then a bunch of stars. Um, so it's hard to to do that on that on that volume, and that's why Powell is such an attractive trade chip around the league. I would think, um, you know, and I've included this in pieces. I, I've I've heard there's a lot of interest in him, a lot of teams, because that is such a valuable skill set, and this is his third straight season of you know not only being efficient but being a, a high-end three-point shooter, he can. He's not the best finisher, but he can get to the rim without assists, which is really important when you look at how teams want to defend some of these star-oriented offenses in the playoffs. But for the Raptors, you're looking at this as not only what role Powell fills now, but what that might look like in the future. And we've seen this year, pre-COVID outbreak on the team, that a core of OG Fred, Pascal, and Norm even with Kyle right now, doesn't have uh, a crazy high upside or maybe not a championship upside unless things really break right and you find yourself in the, you know, in opportunity to add. But that that core is of those four at something like $80 million is not enough. And it's a lot of your flexibility gone. So it's not about trading norm versus keeping norm. It's about trading norm versus probably overpaying him in the off season and he's earned that 18 to 20 million a year that he's going to get for sure. But in terms of how you want to continue to build out this core, a guy whose only asset is scoring, who still has a single digit assist rate in his sixth season, who has slid on the defensive end and is probably, you know, average to a shade above it when he's guarding on the ball, but who is really mistake prone off the ball 
you know, that's just not the type of player that I want to invest another four years and the last bit of uh, cap flexibility in. So, um, yes, his bird rights are valuable. Yes, signing him would be – re-signing him would be preferable to losing him for nothing. Uh, and sign and trading him is, is still an option. But I think with how many teams need his skill set for this playoff push and the fact that he's about to get really expensive – um, you know, he's the guy, I think, that the Raptors could cash in, for for lack of a better term. Um, and, and you know I hate talking about players as assets and stuff like that this time of year. But if you're looking at things coldly and analytically like that, you know, this is the peak of Powell's value. Um, even if you think he's going to keep up this level of performance, he's he's going to do so at probably twice the price moving forward. And you could probably get a first and, and a player for him uh, the way the market sounds right now, and even if it's not that robust a deal, it's it's still a pretty good one. You gotta you gotta restock this pipeline at some point. I was very happy. I was on the Fan Five Ninety the other day, and they put out a tweet with like a I guess they capped my my answer, and they included the hate using players as assets thing. And I was very happy they included that because that was nice. But okay, anyway, yeah, Norm. As far as the ceiling, my thoughts are that. If the Raptors do get to that championship ceiling, Norm isn't the guy taking you there because the parts of his game that he can improve that have been trending up, how high can they conceivably go? He's almost at 65% true shooting as you laid out. And if the Raptors are going to be a championship team, one of or two of Pascal, Fred, and OG make another jump. And if they are making that jump, is a guy like Norm making or breaking it? Is his, you know... The, his skill set, is it that hard to emulate a modicum of what you're looking for there? So I think, yes, I would, uh, I would look to move. And the points you make about, like, obviously re-signing is better than just letting him go for free because the, the Raptors have let Kawhi, Danny, Mark, and Serge go for free. And if not for free, then for the cost of a championship. So, they, uh, yeah, restocking the pipeline seems like a good thing. But, okay. Let's start with immediate satisfaction trades. And those are the ones where the Raptors get a guy that's coveted somehow for Norm. So we're looking at maybe for everybody, it's John Collins or Lonzo Ball for maybe you and I. A trade that includes Keldon Johnson could be really, really interesting because Keldon kicks major ass. But okay, we'll do this. Norm, Lonzo, there's a swap there. Are you interested in any type of framework around that? Yeah, I mean, look, if you're... I, I like Lonzo. I like Lonzo. That that's pretty much um, it. And I, I know that it's uh, another guard, and I know that it's another guy who is uh, about to get uh, a really big raise. So maybe you balk at that a little bit. Um, now I will say that at six six, um, balls maybe a little bit more. Like he's bigger than than Norm uh, height and lengthwise. Maybe not lengthwise. Norm's got like a six ten wingspan, but he's. Um, you know, he's, he's big enough to to not be boxed in as a point guard on the defensive end. Um, he's significantly better than, than Norman Powell on the defensive end. Uh, beyond that, you know, I, I understand skepticism about balls shooting, but we're at the last two years now, which is, you know, over 100 – well over 100 games for him um, and almost seven threes per game where he shot 38%. Uh, that's pretty that's pretty good as far as a guy who that's not a, a big part of his um, 
you know, who wasn't expected to be a big part of his weapon necessarily. Um, he is a very good transition player, which suits the Raptors kind of the, the way they like to approach things. And then I think the fact that he is such a good either primary or secondary playmaker, you know, how, how often have we talked over the last year and a half about how Fred Van Vliet looks at his best when he's able to play off the ball a little bit more, um, you know, w- with a guy like Lonzo Ball, there's more of that creation for others uh, in that kind of pat in that profile than uh, there is with Powell. Obviously he is not the shooter or the scorer that Norman Powell is right now, but between the defense, between the creation for others, between the fact that he's a couple years younger. So yes, Powell fits with the, with Siakam and Van Vliet's ages, but ball maybe gives you a little bit more upside in terms of, you know, Van Vliet and Siakam are your guys in their peaks, in their prime years, and then Lonzo Ball and OG Ananobi are the guys kind of just entering their prime years, uh, which maybe builds in a little bit more upside. Um, You know, I I think a deal around those two would be complicated. I think New Orleans probably wants, um, because Powell's a free agent, I think they probably ask for uh, a pick back. I, I think if they're shopping Lonzo, there are probably going to be a lot of teams that, that try to get involved there. Um, but the bigger thing, the, the biggest hangup that I have with any of the Lonzo ball talk is that I think he's a really good fit with Zion and Brandon Ingram. And I don't really know, like, obviously they're high on Kyra Lewis and you know, they, they're going to want the ball in the hands of, of Ingram and, um, uh, and Zion a lot, but, I don't get the the rush to trade mm-hmm. Lonzo away. I like him there. Yeah, Lonzo, I, I have no idea why they want to trade him. That doesn't make any sense to me. It seems like, now here's, I don't know if this is considered a hot take, but I would think that if you're trying to maximize Zion and the team around him, Ingram is the guy who eventually is moved and maybe Adams is you try and upgrade Adams down the road and Bledsoe's contract is not ideal. But There, there is an no upgrade for Steven Adams. That's correct. That's right. He is, uh, he is perfect. He is, uh, yeah. What, whatever, look, if this picks up, somehow I'm finding a way to get Steven Adams back in this trade too, even though that contract is not the best contract. Um, but hey, it declines It declines from here. So at least there's that. Declining contracts are, are very interesting in the NBA. I, li- I like them a lot. So, okay, anyway. N- Norm for Lonzo. I see why Raptors fans like it. I don't understand the rationale from the Pelicans front office or fan base point of view. I don't think they're good enough to go for it. And I don't think, like, I think there's norm might end up disappointing you in that type of uh, structure. And especially when you're going from Alonzo from the Raptors point of view on court, if the Raptors say like Lonzo is more off ball than anything, then they just become like way more three-pointers than ever because Lonzo obviously, like a lot of Raptors, doesn't provide a ton of rim pressure. And if you're not putting him on ball, that means he can't lead other guys to the rim. He's just shooting spot-up jumpers. But I guess that would be the only quibble. But I would, I mean, hell yeah, I would do that for sure. I'd love to be the Raptors and have the, the right to pay Lonzo when it comes to that. But okay, John Collins, if, if uh, you're ready to move on from the Lonzo norm stuff. Yeah, sure. Okay. John Collins, uh, something you talked about in uh, your column. This is an interesting one. Tony Snell, John Collins for Baines, Powell, 
and a lottery protected 2022 first. And so Baines Powell, lottery protected 2022 first, going out the door for Collins and Snell. What do you make of that? It seems like that's something the Hawks would probably say no to, but for the Raptors, a lot of fans, and I guess to never have to play Tony Snell again is a, is a big win. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Snell's only in there to make the contracts work, right? You can't do a norm for Collins swap or a norm and a pick for Collins swap. So you, you have to get Snell in there and you have to get Baines in there or whatever. Um, so, yeah, this is similar to the Lonzo situation. Like, if, you, if you're trading Norman Powell and you don't want to trade him for pick and prospect, uh, then getting a guy like Lonzo or John Collins is kind of – you know, Collins is only a couple months, or sorry, rather, uh, he's a couple months younger than Lonzo, so fits what we were talking about in terms of timelines and guys entering their primes. You know, I would be, if all the rumblings over the course of the year that Collins wants a max contract are true, I, I'd probably balk at that a little bit. Uh, but the difference between $20 million a year and a max contract for a guy coming off his rookie deal isn't that arduous where, like, it wouldn't be the end of the world. And Collins has become such a multifaceted scorer uh, and, and is a good enough rebounder where, you know, the, the, the path to Collins being a real guy is not all that crazy to imagine. The Raptors have helped a lot of bigs improve their playmaking. Uh, that's probably the one thing you're really looking for from him on offense. And then he's not a center defensively, but neither is Chris Boucher and neither is OG Ananobi and the Raptors have figured it out. When, when it comes to position stuff, you know, I'm very much of the mind you get the best talent you can and you figure the, the fit stuff out uh, after, you know, all else equal. Sure, you prefer a guy who fits a box a little easier, but, um, you know, there's not – in the modern NBA and with the way the Raptors play defense, there's not a dramatic difference between small forward, power forward, center – and power forward, power forward, power forward. So um, I like Collins. I, I, this is another one, though, where, you know, if I'm at if I'm Atlanta, yes, this framework we're talking about has a pick coming back, but I don't know that Norman Powell is the guy for them. They just, they just spent big on Bogdan and Gallinari, who are both kind of offense-first guys. Bogdan, who, who is, you know, position redundant with, with Norm a little bit. Maybe if they move on from one or both of those guys, it, it makes some sense. But they still have Herter, uh, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, all, all those guys who, you know, should be growing into opportunities at this point. So um, I guess this is one where, like, every time we talk about the the Kings or the, or the Knicks, it's like, well, they're the Kings and the Knicks, so who knows? Uh, the Hawks have not really stuck to – a plan right like like they they were rebuilding and they got all these young guys and then they jumped the gun adding all these vets so who knows what they're really after uh but i would think that another score first vet is maybe not what they're looking for for collins at least not at the two guard position am i off there do you do you feel different and like i i think it makes a lot of sense for the raptors to try that out as you say collins you get a guy if you can get a guy I actually, this is like a pet project of mine and Evan Gualberto's this year for bouncing around is we're paying a lot of attention to Collins' defense this year. And defending fours, I actually think it's been much improved. That doesn't solve the five position for the Raptors. But as you say, uh, you just 
you can kind of jury rig that position. You can stick guys together and try and create a situation where things work. So while there would probably still be an element of the Raptors being overmatched by a lot of fives that come in and play them, bigger centers, Collins, I think, provides an undervalued asset, an undervalued player currently. And while he's not Carl Anthony Towns, I think he's done a fantastic job of supercharging his offense in a lot of meaningful ways. And he's a very creative scorer. So I think if you can get Collins, I, I really do think you try. As for the Hawks, though, the weird way they've built the team, I think they envisioned a version of the future this summer where they sign all these guys, overload positions, and then they sell high when they're winning a bunch and the guys are overlapped, sure, but they can just sell high on like a Kevin Herter who is very, very good and provides you with a really nice floor. But you wonder like, how much is this ceiling going to pair with Trey? Is this some guy we can sell high on and maybe get something down the road or package for a star? But they're more of in a position right now to sell low. So I don't know why they sell low when they can just, I guess, wait a little bit. But it's, it's definitely interesting for the Raptors, for the Hawks. I don't really see why they would bring Norm in and keep Cam, Herder, Hunter, Bogdan, you know, Chris Dunn, who even plays up a position if he's going to play next to Trey, something like that. So it's, uh, that's the thing with trades. It's really hard to make it work for all sides. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it uh, makes for difficult. good content though, but hell yeah. Um, this is the thing, right? It's like, if you and I were sitting here and one of us was playing the Atlanta or New Orleans role and the other was playing the Raptors role, we could come, we could find deals for, for both of these scenarios. Uh, What's complicated is that we don't have 28 other people on the line representing the other teams to kind of swoop in and make a deal, right? So that's that's where it gets tough. Yeah, and as you say with the Hawks, if they move some of their wing guys and are restructuring the roster, then maybe there is a hole for Norm, and maybe Norm does fit. I think Norm would actually fit extremely well next to Trey Young. I think that's a really nice fit. I just think the Hawks probably value their on-court or on-roster talent to try and do that. Yeah, like and, like that's the thing is you'd have to. I like I like Norm's fit there too, but it, it almost salary wise and roster balance wise, like it almost necessitates them getting off of Bogdan. Mm-hmm. That yeah, that's exactly it. Okay, um, Keldon, I, di- I haven't seen any Spurs framework for a trade, but I, you so mentioned the Spurs that haven't made an in season trade since Austin Day Fernando Decolo. That's why you big, haven't seen big any shout out, Big shout out, Nando. Yeah, so I, Keldon, look, first of all, it would be funny to get the guy back that was the pick in the Kawhi trade, uh, just like it would have been funny if the Raptors made the chase of Jakob Pertl last offseason in restricted free agency. Uh, I know people want DeMar DeRozan in, <laughs> in, in certain scenarios too. Um, that stuff's fun to look at. The Spurs are fascinating to me because on – you know, you look at their roster sheet and where does Norman Powell fit? And you look and it's like, well, they already have so many guards that DeMar is basically a power forward now. Uh, and Rudy Gay is like a four or five. So maybe, you know, maybe that's not a, a need for them. And maybe that's, you know, um, but also the fact that they're playing four guards a lot of the time, you know, you can make it work. Now, where I see the the more complicating factor for any Spurs deal is that they have a pretty good young core here. And I don't know, you know, does a norm for Keldon swap make them meaningfully better this year and prime for a deeper playoff run, especially if they're 
you know, buying out Aldridge or whatever? Probably not. Like, it probably makes more sense for them to just hang on and keep developing that Keldon, Derek White, Murray, who's the other one that I'm missing? Lonnie. Yes, Lonnie and Trey Jones. You know, they have they have five guards slash wing guys that they're already developing for um so I don't know I I don't like maybe you can make an argument for talent consolidation there but I just don't think they're there yet and I think I think if it wasn't for DeMar really I mean I guess Rudy and Patty Mills play a part in this too but if it wasn't for DeMar being so good and so such a good fit with the, the rest of his team right now you know I don't think we'd be talking about the Spurs as a team that should be adding I think we'd be talking about well they should see what's out there for tomorrow and they should see what's out there for Rudy Gay uh, and I still think that's the case with Rudy Gay but um, so I don't know man I like Kelvin Johnson I like all the Spurs young young guards but I think it would be very uncharacteristic and very unspurs like to um, kind of cash in some of those young chips mid-season uh, just to you know make the second round instead of the first round or something like that yeah, agree. Does that make sense? It's mostly, oh yeah, it makes a lot of this sense. This is mostly just you like dreaming on Keldon, right? Yeah, and you mentioned him in your piece, and I've been a big fan of Keldon. Like even before this season, um, Joe Wolfond and I were previewing the West, and I was like, oh yeah, Keldon is my favorite, even more so than Derek White. And obviously, I think you know Joe loves Derek White, but Keldon, big fan of him. Like when he goes up for a layup, it's like TNT was placed below his feet, and it's like, and he just explodes towards the rim and he's just so active in air and Edmund Sumner from the Pacers two guys I think who have these crazy crazy finishing packages but okay uh future considerations for Norm Powell trades and Keldon is like the mix between the two but uh pick the least favorable pick from the Knicks and Frankie Smokes and Tilkina and with the Lakers we have a package that is centered around a top 10 protected first in 2027, but mostly Taylor Horton Tucker and the return of Alfonso McKinney for Norm. Which do you prefer of those two? Yeah, I think, I think I'd lean toward the, the Knicks offer there. And it's not, it's not that the Lakers, you can't figure it out, um, but the Lakers have more complications. And the biggest one is financial. Um, you know, with the Lakers, I think 1.3 million from the hard cap uh, or 1.7 million or something like that it gets tough for them to take on Norm's deal uh, without sending out a lot of players. And that's, that's fine. If you're Toronto, you don't really care about, you know, eating Jared Dudley or Wesley Matthews or whatever, and then buying them out after the deadline. Uh, you could get Mark Gasol back maybe, which would be funny. Um, but really from an asset perspective, it's Taylor Horton Tucker, who is, you know, a pretty nice piece. I like him a lot, actually. He's, yeah. I think he's very interesting. However, comma also did you, oh. notice, did you notice i used that in a in a piece the other day and i even credited you i didn't see which one was it i forget they all blend together oh egg on my face wow yeah. I, I would have been super jazzed about that and i'm gonna go looking now yeah it was in the last paragraph it might have been the the i don't remember um anyway horton tucker is interesting he's only 20 uh he was really he was so I feel like part of the reason I like THT so much is that I really liked him in the G League last year. And coming into this year, um, you know, I was I had kind of joked in like athletic slacks, like, hey, like, do we have anyone on the Taylor Horton Tucker breakout that helps the Lakers repeat? 
bandwagon, like, like, can I write this? Um, I did not get to write that, obviously. Uh, we have two really good people covering the Lakers. But he's been good. He, he's taken a nice step forward, uh, counting stats-wise. Still not particularly efficient. And at 6'4", you're going to have to shoot the three at some point. Uh, but I think there's some nice two-way potential there. Uh, the complicating factors with Horton Tucker being that one, he's a restricted free agent after the season. So, um, you know, even with Arenas protections on his type of RFA status, you're going to have to uh, pay him a lot more. Not, you know, sing- we're still talking seven figures, not eight figures, but you're going to have to pay him a little bit this summer. Also, you know, Lakers exceptionalism has caused his the excitement around him to maybe <laughs> outstrip his growth at this point. Um, he's not, you know a guy yet he just has real potential to be a guy um anyway the bigger thing is that from the lakers perspective you have to trade like four guys for norm and from the raptors perspective the pick you're getting back is not until 2027 which look a post lebron lakers pick is probably a pretty good asset it's just really far away um whereas the knicks framework um whoa someone's revving their their bike hardcore outside my window sorry it's um, mac yeah yeah country <laughs> mac though uh so yeah they, who are you to throw stones you have no you don't even have sleeves anymore yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> um with the Knicks package you know first of all yeah frankie smokes is about to be our restricted free agent and he has not carved out a role in New York. I do think he's the player type the Raptors would be interested in. He's included for salary matching, but it doesn't hurt to get a pre-free agency look at a guy either. The bigger asset with the Knicks framework is that you're getting a pick that is either, so the Knicks have two picks and the right to swap. So um, you could either get Dallas's pick, the Clippers pick, or the Knicks pick. Um, You would get based on the swap rights and and the way I frame that deal, you would get the second best of those um, picks because the third will belong to the Clippers. Um, so anyway, that is a near-term pick. It is a pick that figures to be in the middle of this year's draft, which is, you know, not only a, a pretty good draft, but also if you have two picks in the middle of the first round, that's kind of a good way to move up. Um, so yeah, I, I like that one, uh, a little better. The, I, I know that people wouldn't be as excited because, you know, to a lot of people, it's just a pick and I don't know that I could sell people on Nilakina at this point still, but, uh, yeah, I mean, a near term pick than like 22 is, it's pretty good. Yeah. I think that one I like a lot because it gives you the opportunity, like you can either trade up for a guy you really like, or if there's a guy, Garuba, or like Springer that's hanging around, you could be really, really fortunate to get them later on. Now, I don't know if they will be, but I think that provides you with like, you could get a real blue chip prospect and be very happy with how you're coming out of the draft. And I think that's, that's something to consider. That's, that's really interesting. Taylor Horton not, Tucker. Not to mention, sorry, sorry, just to yeah, add one more wrinkle. Like this is, we're getting a little too nitty gritty and like wish casting here, but say you do that trade and the Knicks are, are, you know, trying to make it. And, like, right now, the Knicks and Dallas are both slotted in the mini play-in tournament. If things went poorly for one of those teams and they lost in the play-in, that is another lottery pick. And as much as those odds might be, like, infinitesimal if you're, like, the 14th in the lottery, they're non-zero. 
it's still uh it's still a relevant number if it's greater than zero. So mm-hmm. I uh Taylor Horton Tucker I really like because guys who seem to be operating slowly but still get to the places they want to on the floor will always intrigue me and his craft around the basket. Yeah, is, the uh, DeLon Wright, Kyle Anderson mode. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. The amoebic uh, type of... Uh, yes. Uh, a Blake Murphyism, an amoebic type of basketball. But, okay, feel like that's norm. Of those packages, do you have something that you'd be happiest with between Collins, Alonzo, Frankie, and the pick, or Taylor Horton Tucker and a slew of other things, plus the post-LeBron era of the Lakers pick? Yeah, I mean, I think if we're if we're assuming all of this is possible, I it's think all possible, baby. If there's a Lonzo deal where you don't give up a first, that that would be my preference. Otherwise, I think I lean to you know, I certainly don't think the Raptors are in a position to be giving up picks. So, you know, picks are one of the things I think that has tilted the Raptors fan base a little bit. Um, in this era is that because they've done well under drafting guys and with undrafted players that, you know, first round picks have been devalued a little bit, maybe um, to, to this fan base. And you look and like OG and Pascal were first round picks and you needed a first round pick and Pirtle, who was a recent lottery pick to get Kawhi. And, you know, you needed JV and DeLon who were both top 20, you know, a top five and a top 20 pick to get, uh, to get Marcus all and so first are first are really valuable um, and, and you've seen lately like you know how fond I am of the 905 and tracking the development of guys but you know the the depth chart is a little thin and that's because you in your all-in years going back as far as when they traded a first and a second to unload Damari Carroll you know there is a cost to trading away your picks a lot and getting some extra future assets is uh, is a good way to either restock the the war chest kind of for potential trades or to um, you know kind of restock the the prospect pipeline. So I would lean if you don't have to give up a pick to get a Alonzo or John Collins kind of deal, awesome. I don't think that's realistic. So in that case, I would prioritize uh, you know picks and the the nearer term the asset like like THT is cool. But the difference between a 2021 pick in the teens and a 2027 pick, you know, I probably lean toward the uh, the sooner return. Yeah. And uh, this is something I think should be said. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but this is definitive. The Raptors, the story about no lottery picks where they won the championship is like a fun thing to say but Kawhi and Mark are worth what they cost the Raptors to get them, which was lottery picks. They aren't suddenly building this team. Like they, the value went up. It didn't matter that they weren't selected in the lottery. They're a known quantity in the league and the Raptors traded lottery picks to get them and then ended up winning without a lottery pick. But it, it doesn't really carry weight outside of that like fun anecdote. And the Raptors currently I've seen some people who have notoriety in Raptors Twitter and some people who have just regular, like you just, Hey, this is what I think. There's this idea that like we traded for Kawhi, like we can do that again, just keep it steady. But the terms and conditions of how this Raptors team and the roster operates are so vastly different in how deep the roster is that I don't think that's viable to look at. And I think it's a little ignorant to say, of course you can be wishful, but it's just, it doesn't work the same. We're not operating 
anywhere close to a similar situation. But okay, Kyle Lowry talks. Are you ready for the Kyle Lowry talks? Not emotionally, but like ta- <laughs> tactically, yes. Okay, let's let's get tactical. Philly, what is your dream situation coming from Philly? I think we're going to operate in the worldview that if Kyle seems to love Philadelphia, that's where he's from, and he loves Toronto too, that's fine. But I think a lot of people assume that if Kyle is going somewhere, it's the Heat or Philadelphia. I think Raptors fans are leaning towards they would want Philadelphia more. What do you like from Philly if you're trading Kyle Lowry? What do you want coming back in the door? Yeah, I think Philly has the best max offer. Now, whether they're willing to go to that offer, you know, who knows? I, I don't Ben Simmons, I, right? No, yeah, I wish. <laughs> uh, that'd be that'd be lovely. But no, you're looking at salary filler and um, you know, that's that's Danny Green and Mike Scott. Um if as the third salary filler piece, you could get Tony Bradley instead of Terrence Ferguson or Vincent Poirier. I, uh, I like that better. I like Tony Bradley. Uh, but the real haul here is the Sixers have a full chest of their draft picks and they have Shake Milton, Matisse Teibel and uh, Tyrese Maxey who are prospects. You know, if you, if you want to get really prospecty, they have Paul Reed on a two way too. G league MVP. B-ball, B-ball Paul. Paul. <laughs> B-ball Paul. Uh, so, so when I went through this exercise with my colleague, Rich Hoffman, um, who covers the 76ers at the athletic, he was willing to give me three pieces from that group of Milton, Tybal, Maxi, and future picks. And I think if we're operating under the assumption that Lowry wants out or, or is open to, to moving uh, in any framework, getting three assets back is kind of a best case scenario. Um, you know, I liked Maxi pre-draft. It's a little bit awkward having Maxi Van Vliet and, and Flynn together, but again, we go back to get talent, figure the rest out later. Um, I really like Tybal. I think he'd be a fun fit defensively if you can figure out the half court offense. Uh, and then those, those picks are real and they're near term. And, and so I think, you know, I know Miami's out there. I know the Clippers are out there. I know a lot of the league would probably at least check in on Kyle, but it would be tough for me to see a deal that tops three of Tybal Milton Maxi future picks from Philly. And maybe they don't go that far. You know, maybe you can't leverage Miami's interest to pushing them that far, but that is, you know, I got rich to agree to that deal when we did the exercise. So obviously there are some people who think it's uh, it's worthwhile for the Sixers. Well, and if they win the championship this year, then I think you could get a lot from them and they'd look back at it fondly to be quite honest, but okay, we'll move on to Miami. And the friendship with Jimmy Butler that appears to be, nobody knows how it works, the intricacies of it, but it is outwardly uh, very lovable and I think very likable. And Lowry, maybe not in like body fat percentage, but you know his ethos does seem to match up quite well with hashtag heat culture, I guess. And uh, so what do you think about the heat prospective packages coming out of there? And I guess Tyler Hero, if we're going to zero in on something. Yeah, um, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to name the bakery that would be adjacent to Big Face Coffee. Big Face Coffee and and Big Something Cookies right next door to each other uh, in Miami. Look, I think I think Lowry can help anyone. Him and Jimmy are friends. I do think. I actually think a lot of the rumbling around the Heat is coming out of Jimmy Butler's camp because 
Jimmy wants Kyle really badly. Um, because, you know, they're – can I swear on this, Samson? Sure. You go right ahead. They're the same kind of motherfucker when it comes to, you know, that kind of grittiness and toughness and annoying take every advantage uh, in the in a playoff environment kind of guy. They're, they're, you know, peas in a pod kind of. So, so I certainly understand why Miami would be eager for that, why Lowry and Butler would want to play together. Uh, the Heat package does not do it for me. I, I'm not particularly interested in Duncan Robinson right before RFA when I think – you know, he's, he's going to get, given what a guy like Joe Harris got, I think Robinson's headed for a pretty good payday. Um, he's not bad, like if he was part of a deal, whatever, but as a piece of a deal, I don't like it. Uh, they can't deal a first until 2025, and even that is contingent on them removing some protections that they owe on a Houston pick. Uh, and then, you know, Hero's fine if he was the – if it was Hero on a future pick and filler, you know, you could sell yourself on that, especially with the additional years of control Hero has. But Robinson ahead of RFA is not that good. Uh, I have no interest. I have below zero interest in Kendrick Nunn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Apollo would be a nice, uh, a nice throw-in. I like him. I think he could be a fit defensively and, and a guy worth, uh, worth developing a little bit. But um, I, I think you could probably hear that the enthusiasm in my voice is, is not as high as it was for some of the 76 guys. Did you, have you ever heard my story about calling Jimmy and uh, Kyle Lowry absolute motherfuckers on Twitter and then Kyle Lowry's mom responded to it? No. She said, I hope you mean that in a good way. And I was like, yes, of course, always in a good way. But uh, it was kind of funny. I didn't expect that. If anybody could respond to that tweet and have it be like the funniest possible outcome, it would be one of their moms. And <laughs> as it was, it was Kyle Lowry's mom. But okay, Kyle Lowry, we like the, the 76ers more than the Heat. I don't want any part of Kendrick Nunn no. at all. I don't want him. For a coming. lot of reasons. Yes. It, it not like on court, overrated, off court, just obviously not a great person. Or at least yes. for a point in his life. Not a very good person. I don't know what steps he's taken till now, but anyway. And, and on court, it's just like he has the typical like bucket getter profile where no matter how little you're impacting the game, the fact that you get some buckets, however efficiently, you know, gets you gets you buzz. I don't know. He's not very good. He's a he's a real hoopers only guy. Is that yeah. uh, you're like, oh yeah, he had like that in and out dribble and finished with the left hand. You know, even though he's left-handed. But anyway, okay, <laughs> let's let's talk. I think the the Nuggets could make a case for a trade to the Raptors. Um, your boy Nimrit, uh, I would say a great Nuggets fan on the on the timeline. He suggested Michael Porter Jr. for Lowry. I don't know how tenable that is for either side. And uh, but anyway. I think Look, any the, the Raptors ahead. have had, have dealt enough with COVID this year that they don't need an anti-mask anti-vaxxer added to the mix. Uh, in addition, in addition to Terrence Davis being yeah. already anti-mask and anti, well, we don't know if he's anti-vax for sure. Although he seems to be leaning that way. Anyway, okay. Anything else that comes with a Lowry trade, I think, would be considered somewhat out of the blue and 
we're not even operating with like, oh, there's there's noise, so we're talking about it. I think they would just be blind speculation at that point. Yeah. Yeah, and the tough thing with Denver is like with a, a lot of Lowry frameworks is how do you make the money work, right? And you can get there actually, you know, depending on how Denver feels about some of their depth pieces, like Gary Harris and Jermichael Green gets you there or Gary Harris, MPJ, and and one other piece can get you there maybe. Um, but, you know, M- M- MPJ is obviously the highest upside guy Denver has to, to dangle. As his defense is kind of – I don't – I hesitate to say the word improved because he's still not good, but it's gotten less objectionable. Um, I really think he's a, he's a piece that they're going to continue to build with unless like an absolute superstar who fits the Murray Jokic timeline becomes available. Um, you know, and it, Denver's an interesting one for Norm too, if you're willing to take on Gary Harris's deal. Um, Zeke Naji, RJ Hampton, Bull Bull are all kind of like, you know, I, I think have varying people feel differently about them is what I'm, what I'm trying to get to there. Uh, I like Monty Morris, but I don't know that he's, uh, you know, I think he's, he's one of their guys. And then, you know, you know, I love a G league success story like Isaiah Hartenstein, but he's not, <laughs> he's not moving the needle much. Uh, but Denver also has picks. I don't know. I'd be surprised if Denver got in the mix for Lowry. I, th- I think they're more of a norm uh, target than anything. Yeah, Harris is interesting because Harris does a lot of great things on the floor. It's just the shooting has completely left him. Michael Porter Jr., I think he does fit really well with them offensively. And defensively, maybe you expect that that will come around because his timing on cuts offensively is, he has like a really inherent, he's very, very good at it. Like he reads the floor exceptionally well on that end. And you might expect that to end up translating to team defense. I don't know how much, you know, collinearity there is for that. But anyway, Norm maybe fits there. Yeah, totally. But there's a lot of things happening. And Isaiah Hartenstein, I think we wanted him on the Raptors, but he got signed while we were doing the free agency extravaganza podcast, I think. Didn't he? Yes. That's okay. uh, Unbelievable. Didn't get him, didn't get Harry Giles. Alizé. Didn't get get all these guys who aren't playing anywhere. Sure, sure, the Raptors' depth pieces haven't been good, but these other guys could have also not been good for the Raptors. Yeah, that's Harry Giles, just poor guy. But anyway, and then there was that guy on Twitter, I can't remember his name. I wouldn't say it if I did know it because he doesn't deserve that much heat, but who was saying, like, Toronto definitely wants Harry Giles. And I love the economy of like fake sources i think it's one of the most interesting aspects of the off season is like the hustlers and the grinders who are like i'm gonna convince people by taking the low-hanging fruit and just reporting it as my own it's uh something i like a lot but okay boucher stuff do you have anything in mind for boucher or is that more of like if something came along you'd take a hard look at it uh, yeah, I think it's more the latter. I like the flexibility that his non-guaranteed second year provides, um, both in trade and, mm-hmm. you know, if you whiff elsewhere, you end up keeping Norm or Kyle or whatever, and that ends up being a pretty reasonably priced backup big. Um, but, you know, Boucher's not young. He's the third oldest guy on the team. If, uh, if someone's willing to pay for him uh, with a, a younger prospect or, or – you know, even a pick, I, I don't know, 
you're certainly not doing that for a second, but maybe um, Boston, which obviously no no Raptor fan is going to want to help the Celtics in any way. Uh, but if you, you know, the Celtics have a lot of pick, it would be also very funny if the Celtics never cashed in their picks for stars and Danny Ainge had to leak all that stuff post-deadline every time. Uh, and then they, they cash one in for Chris Boucher. Um, but no, there are a few teams. As long as a team is willing to look at him as a power forward, there are a lot of interesting fits. Um, you know, I think he's shown this year he can be a pretty impactful bench guy. You've just got to roll a little bit. Yeah, I think he's interesting because if you could get like the the ceiling of his value you think would probably be like a late, late first, a team that wants to take a flyer on him. If he performs well in their framework, like how they've like in, in their rotation in the playoffs, then you smash that guarantee. Yes. And if you think and if you think, oh, we didn't really like it and we want to try go look for something else, then I guess you don't go for that. But he, even he's on such a good contract, I think, for what he provides just in raw numbers that uh, I think that's uh, an interesting thing to look at. But, okay, let's talk moves that would be considered very, very low risk, but trying to help this current, like the Raptors' current rotation. So Norm isn't going out the door. Neither is Lowry. The Raptors are still in search of that big man. You put together a trade for Nerlens Noel, that is uh, Stanley Johnson, Terrence Davis, and a second-round pick. And then everybody's favorite power forward slash center, Kem Birch. And to get him, McCaw and a second-rounder are going out the door. Do you have a preference between those two? Uh, the Knicks aren't doing that. Um, they, they've been <laughs> too good. Like, I threw that one out there because, full disclosure, I started working on that piece you know, earlier in this eight-game losing streak and kind of expecting the Knicks to come back down to earth a little bit. Um, and, and like pre-Mitchell Robinson getting hurt and seeding the spot to, to Nerlens Noel, he's too valuable to them now. And uh, I think it is, you know, I think the Knicks would like to make the playoffs. And so they might not be um, sellers any, any longer, um, you know, so that deal probably isn't even on the table. Uh, the Ken Birch one, you know, I bounced it off Josh Robbins, who's our magic guy. And it was this weird in-between where, you know, McCaw or pick your salary filler and a second and like a deep future second wasn't enough, but Josh didn't even bother to ask for a first back because obviously Birch isn't worth uh, a first round pick as a backup center who's about to hit free agency. So it's kind of that weird in-between of like, you know, does Orlando bend on it because they need to get time for Mobamba or, or maybe Ken Birch himself helps both sides and gets some fresh starts, you know, for Orlando that opens up Mobamba minutes and you get another shot creator there uh, to possibly fill in kind of the Evan Fournier role if he's outbound. And then for the Raptors, obviously you, you, you know, you're losing turning a, an RFA into a UFA, but uh they need the center help and Terrence Davis isn't in the rotation. So um, maybe there's some stuff there. I think Birch is gettable. I think, you know, Noel's probably off the market. Rashawn Holmes is probably off the market. Sadly, um, you're not, there aren't spicy centers out there, man. So, you know, Ken Birch, if he can plug that hole and be a, be a better option in the Baines role, then, you know, that it's sad that that's maybe a best case scenario, but I think, uh, you know, who knows, man? I, I still want Thad, too, if they're, if they're going to try to win. So, I don't know. I, I've kind of – sorry, man. I've lost my enthusiasm for the 
the win moves where like I'm just not putting a first on the table for anything this year. Right. And there's only so much you can do with filler and seconds. That's um, a point of, what would it be, consternation? A point of contention, I think, is a more accurate term, is with Raptors Twitter and Raptors fans, is to go for it or not. A lot of people still want to go for it. And Rashawn Holmes, you probably don't want to give anything because you won't be able to afford him in free agency, likely. And he's going to warrant more than his early bird rights grant him that 175% raise or 105% of the average salary of last year. There's good centers usually reside on good teams and good teams do not want to trade their good centers. Yeah. Like there's a reason the Raptors had Jonas Valanciunas and then had Mark and Serge. And there's a reason both those guys were coveted by the Clippers and the Lakers in the off season. It's, very, very However, however those have worked out. Yeah. <laughs> however, that's worked out. I still am on the should have kept Mark bandwagon. I, <laughs> that's, uh, okay. Uh, let's do a few Twitter questions and then we'll get out of here. How's that sound? That sounds good. Okay. Uh, from Alexander McDonald, should sparing Lowry from having to wear these purple earned jerseys be the top priority? What do you think of the jerseys, by the way, the purple ones? I'm, I always have a tough time with jerseys because um, they, they look different in person. Uh, and, like, there have been Raptors jerseys in the past that people didn't like, and then they saw them live at a home game, and it was like, oh, my God, those are amazing. Uh, so I think there's some potential for that. Uh, I will say they're not my favorite. I don't know. That's Yeah, that's, they looked better. Yeah, they looked better when you got the closer pictures than the horrendous like 3D modeling where there were red socks paired with them and whatever the hell that was. It was not great, but okay. Um, What's more fun, Lowry plus Jimmy and Bam or Lowry plus Embiid? Uh, Lowry plus Embiid, I think. Yeah, I think so. Embiid is very underrated for his comedy. He Everybody was really on it when he first came into the league, but then everybody soured on him. And it's uh, an untapped market currently, I think. Yeah. Also, like the element of Kyle going to his hometown team and um, the fact that I think a thing that helps is the Raptors beat the Sixers on the way to the championship. So there is not an element of like Raptors fans not wanting Philly to have success. Um, Certainly not as much as there is with like a Boston or a Milwaukee. Uh, I don't know. I just think, uh, yeah, I think Kyle returning to his hometown team with Embiid, who, who's really likable, uh, would be cool. I answered a question. It was the top quick reaction comment after they played the Sixers, and it was just hating on Embiid. And my answer to that, I was so confused. I was like, what? why wouldn't anybody like Embiid? Like, he did the airplane after he did a windmill. But who cares? Like, he was so dominant in that series. He was awesome. And the Raptors won. And it was like a legendary series. Why would, the, why would Raptors fans dislike the 76ers? That, to me, makes no sense. And the 76ers have just been losing to the Raptors over and over again throughout all these years. Like, I understand the sentiment where you come from, where you say, why not let the 76ers have a go at it? And it's Kyle's hometown. But some people really do not like Embiid, and I don't understand the rationale for it. But anyway, that's just me being – I like Embiid a lot. I really like him. So, okay, Freddie Rivas, 
does Nurse need to simplify the system to get the bench some easier looks and maybe the starters more rest? End quote. Okay, so this is not a trade thing, but do you have any thoughts on that just quickly? I mean, I don't think the system offensively is the issue. Like, I don't think it being complex is the issue. I think it's more complex defensively than it is offensively. A lot of the offense is push and transition and then kind of read and react. Like, um, you know, Nurse is fond of saying, like, drive, kick, swing, drive, kick, swing. And that's easier said than done, of course. But I think the bigger issue with the bench units is that they just don't have a lot of back to our earlier norm discussion and a lot of honestly a a lot of our Terrence Davis discussion last year when he was playing better uh there's not there's no event creation in the second unit right and it's why you know maybe Malachi Flynn's pick and roll play can spark something it's why they've wanted to keep Chris Boucher in bench units instead of starting is just you look down the list of bench guys they have and who can create a shot or who can even create an advantage to pass on to the next guy. And and there's not a lot of it. Like we saw Bembry basically play point guard because off the ball, he he neutralizes that and he needs the ball. And that's the same for McCaw and Stanley Johnson and Yutu Watanabe. And, um, you know, Aaron Baines just can't do that stuff, period. He just can't finish those plays. So um, that's, I think that's more personnel based and system based. The, The system stuff comes in more for me on the defensive side. If only the Timberwolves hadn't poached Chris Finch, the Raptors would be eight games above 500 right now. Just wait until Alizé Johnson starts going off for the Nets if you want to hear if-only stories. Yeah, they they have an interesting... I think that's so funny that Blake Griffin dunked for the first time in two years. Like, it was his only basket. Oh, man. I But I like Jeff Green and Claxton better than whatever Blake Griffin was in Detroit. Now, Blake Griffin, obviously, will probably play better, but... I Jeff Green, I hope he doesn't get his minutes cut. I really like Jeff. I think he fits really well next to Harden in particular. But okay. Yeah, and, um, and Bruce Brown's cool there too, right? Like the way Bruce they've Brown used, is great. Yeah, the way they've used him kind of as like a point guard Ronde almost in the offense, where like he's in the he just hangs out in the dunker because he can't really shoot that reliably. Like that's kind of where I could see Alize fitting in there as uh anyway. Uh they're cool. They're gonna win the East. Yeah, Bruce is a really clever cutter. I like his game yeah. a lot. He's he's very clever. Okay, um, from Jeff Lowe, what team that you might not expect potentially makes the biggest splash at the deadline? Do you have any uh, feelings about a team in the NBA who might do something that would excite you? The Phoenix Suns are second in the Western Conference, and I don't think I have read them their name once in any trade piece. They're really good. And they have some interesting chips. Well, that's because their upgrade is their future franchise center. Like, that's the position they have to help out. But obviously, they don't want to move on from Aiton, I think. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Um, could you upgrade the Dario Saric position? Uh, you know, if you're not a big believer in campaign, keeping this up, maybe you you address that. I, I think campaign's been fine. The three-point shot's held up. Um, you know, and... and if you do upgrade the center position, it's not it's not necessarily just about Aiton. It's also, you know, maybe Frank Kaminsky is playing fewer minutes than two, which, uh, I mean, he's back to shooting 40% on threes. It's, it's not the end of the world. But uh, I don't know. They're an interesting team because, like, they're obviously young and, and built for the future. But Chris Paul's 35, and, and they have Jay Crowder, and uh, it's one more. Like, they have some vets there. Uh, the floor god, it's one more. I don't know. I'd be interested – 
they're in second in the West. They're they're one of the best teams in the NBA this year. Uh, I don't know. I, I'd be they're my. Uh, I don't know what the deal would be, but they're my off radar. Oh wait, everyone slept on this team being a buyer because they're really good already. Mm-hmm. And Chris and Paul's thirty five. Like you gotta, you gotta, you don't have to. You can play both sides of it, but it would be fun. I think you give Chris Paul a shot. I think you load up yeah. a little bit, and Devin Booker and Aiton and Michael Bridges are all young enough that I think even if it doesn't go that well, you have another shot at it. That's why I like Dallas trying to go for it with Luka, too, is you have a couple different windows of contention, probably. You've just hit it earlier than you might have expected. The Hawks maybe were expecting to do something like that this year, but it's the Suns, it's especially the Suns and maybe the Mavericks to a lesser degree, and teams that man, could go in. And the Suns have gotten so good so quickly, too, that, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, man, you may you maybe ride this a, a little bit. Like, I remember, I think it was before last year, I got asked in, a, in an AMA or something like that, you know, which team I liked the least for the year ahead, and, and Phoenix was in the mix for me. And, like, before the relaunch, they were 26 and 39. Like, they were pretty bad. And then, obviously, they had that eight-game win streak that came up just short. Uh, but, like... They have turned the corner so quickly, and they have so many cool players. Uh, I love Bridges so much. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm they've become like my number one league pass team. So I, I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm trying to will them to to be even even more fun. I think the the answer is obviously that Kelly Oubre Jr. is so masculine and attractive that he makes the players around him feel worse. And then once he was not in the bubble environment and not like on the floor and now not on the team, they've all been not the, whatever the opposite of emasculated is and on the way yeah. to playing their best Re- basketball. They've been remasculated. <laughs> yes. uh, Samson, Re- what you're talking about with Kelly Oubre Jr. is something I've tried to explain to you before. Oh, it's God. called ha- handsome guy <laughs> heat. Uh, it's where, you know, you don't like someone and you can't explain why. And it's just because they're, way better looking than you and it, and it subconsciously uh bothers you it's the same reason that everyone picks on you on twitter it's just it's just people lashing out over emotions they're not super comfortable with i've never i've never had handsome guy heat i really like when other people are good looking i think that's awesome like so good for them yeah i mean look it's good to be on that side of it but you also have the benefit <laughs> of being one of the good looking people okay. so you don't have to you know, it's the the uggos out there, and it's they're they're the ones who are, you know, having the issue. Like, I don't think, I don't know who else is, who else is good looking on on Phoenix. We're we're going too far down this path, but like <laughs> a good looking person would not be that bothered by Kelly Oubre. It's the, it's probably the second tier good looking people, and then the real uggos who are who are bothered by it. Right, the the McPoyles. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, yes. you have to think this is why Kelly Oubre Jr. could be on the move again. Right. <laughs> that's exactly it. Um, Draymond Green hates that dude. But okay, that's not... Nobody thinks I have sources, so I don't have to clarify. Anyway, uh, yes. A uh, couple more questions. One from the wonderful Thomas Sincara, and it regards Pascal Siakam. If a team called asking for Siakam for a pick projected to go top three in this draft, but you're not 100% sure yet, would you take the deal? Uh, very specific, and uh, Pascal Siakam, I think. What, what, what do you think of that, by the way? Yeah, I mean, 
uh, it's a, a really interesting thought experiment. I think if you do that, you uh, are committing to a longer run rebuild than, than maybe you've thought. Like, mm-hmm. like, you don't have to deal Fred and OG's pretty young. Uh, but the idea of bringing back like Norm or Kyle is kind of, it doesn't make a ton of sense. Uh, this is a really good draft at the top. And I might be tempted to do that given the difference in salaries and the extended runway uh, and stuff like that. Obviously, you don't want to get too horny for prospects, but Kate Cunningham is really good. And so is Mobley, and so are three or four other guys in this draft. Uh, if this is where I'll come back, I'll ask Thomas for top two protection instead of top three protection uh, on that one. I think it's really interesting because A, the Raptors could get really excited about like a Mobley or a Cunningham, who I think are like the top two. And then there's guys like Suggs who fall a little bit lower. But you could get excited about any one of those guys. And you could probably say, these guys will be superstars going into the future. And also, you're not, you're not giving up your own pick in this scenario either. Right. And you're a lottery team. So, you know, could you say, say you get Cade, do you get Kai Jones then? Uh, as as kind of your big man prospect, and if you don't get K and you get Mobley, you know you take a shot at one of those those second tier wings. I don't know; it gets fun quickly. But this, that's probably one of those thought experiments that like could only really ever exist on Twitter on a podcast. Because I mean, first of all, finding a team that would offer you that pick is tough. But also, like, there's just so much real world so many real world factors with Siakam and his relationship with the organization and everything he's been through last Mm -hmm. year and stuff like that. It's a, that would be a tough one to pick up steam, I think. Well, that's the biggest motivating factor for me actually is just thinking of it from Pascal's point of view. If he could get traded to a team that had like not heliocentric, but a big time star, maybe people could start realizing how special he is in his own way again. Because I feel like all of the things that Pascal Siakam does that are like, oh my God, it's brain breaking, has already been taken for granted because we're looking at what he can't do offensively. So you're defensively. Saying get him, get him to Golden State for Ubre and that Wolves pick. <laughs> but then we have a whole bunch of other problems because the handsome guy Heat and obviously yeah. Kelly Ubre Jr. But you know what, Bobby Webster, if anybody, if anybody in the league who's in the management can go to bat for the handsome guy heat to keep Kelly Oubre in check. Bobby Webster is probably the guy. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I had a joke earlier about somehow, oh yeah, 2027 first round pick is so far away that you could see Bobby Webster would have aged by then. That was a joke <laughs> for early in the podcast. <laughs> okay. Uh, one more question uh, from mutual friend, Ashley Docking. What are the top three things you guys like about my Raptors recaps? Thanks in advance. I've seen, I think, six of them. How many have you seen? I don't know. Which, on the spot. I don't know what this is. What? You don't I'm know kidding. what this is? I'm kidding. I'm just giving <laughs> Ashley a hard time. Um, they're great. I love the the energy of them. I love, you know, I, I feel a little bad that Ashley started doing this and, and then the Raptors have gone in the tank. But I actually think it it highlights her creativity and ability to put something entertaining out there even more when things are bad. Anyone can make celebration content. Uh, you know, it's good. I like it. Yeah. It's it's fun, good energy. Um, you know, I still don't really have a. I'm old, Samson, so I'm not on. Uh, I'm not on TikTok, but I don't have TikTok either. 
the Instagram. I see it on Instagram. It's great. Ashley's the best. I see it. I see it on Twitter, but yeah, I think she does a, there's clip collecting that I think is quite good. Like the, the jokes are, are good. So Ashley, uh, we're both fans. Uh, thanks for asking the question to which I hope you enjoy the response, but okay, Blake, are you uh, ready to get out of here? Yeah. Okay. I'd love to thank you for your time and for being so uh, patient with me as we move through this and so gracious with the amount of time you're willing to give. And for once again, joining me on a podcast, but the floor is yours, mate. Chat, chat, chat away. <laughs> what? Okay, please just keep it moving. Sorry, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can check out all my stuff at The Athletic. Uh, Blake Murphy ODC on Twitter. The Athletic right now is only $1 a month for subscription. So click any one of my articles and that, uh, that deal should pop up if you're a new subscriber. Uh, I think we do good work. And even if we don't, what's $1 a month, right? It's, uh, it's what Samson pays for Wi-Fi. And it's why this is going to take him an hour to edit. <laughs> you want to know what the it's, – it's actually expensive. That's the worst part. But, yeah. Chat, chat, chat away. It's not my best work. <laughs> not nearly. But okay, Blake. Thank you so much for coming on. Listener, I am an athletic subscriber myself. I cannot rate it highly enough because you get to see all of Blake's work. Even though I missed the one where I got the shout out, I shan't do it again. But Blake, thank you so much for coming on. Listener, go subscribe. Thanks for tuning in. But whether you got into it in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York.